Welcome back. We have reached episode number 80 on the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast. My name is Andrea Samadhi. I'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience and educational research matched with social and emotional skills with interviews from experts from all different fields to bring awareness, ideas, and strategies to our most pressing issues that we're facing whether we're an educator or parent, to keep us working at our highest levels of productivity. I do appreciate the feedback I've received through social media. It helps me to know these topics are helping to bring some new thoughts, ideas, and hope when times have never been so uncertain. Today we have Samantha Wedchi, the founder of the 16 Strong Project created in 2018 at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. If you're in the field of education, you'll have heard of the importance of understanding ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, that we did touch on with our last episode with Eric Jensen. But our next guest is on a serious mission to help our next generation of learners recognize and navigate the challenges they might be facing as a result of ACEs in their life. Now, just some backstory. When I received an email from one of Samantha's colleagues about her 16 Strong Project, I remember exactly where I was because it's so true. When you attach emotion to a memory, it's something that you never forget. And when I read that Samantha had created this project in response to her experience of living with a mentally ill and addicted parent, I literally stopped what I was doing to read more and had chills. Is all I needed to see in the email was ACEs, Harvard, and Project. And I was writing back instantly for Samantha to find a time that we could speak about her 16 Strong Project. And here we are. Welcome, Samantha. It truly is an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much, Andrea, for the introduction. I, um, yeah, I appreciate your quick response and your, your enthusiasm about the project as well. It was really excited to hear, hear back from you quickly. And, and when we first connected, it, I'm just really appreciative of, of all of your support, too. So I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Wonderful. Well, I do hope that we can use this platform to help more people learn about this initiative that you've created. And it's in response to one of the largest problems that are facing our youth today. So I hope that we can do that. Can you give some background as to why you started the 16 Strong Project and what 16 Strong means to you? Yeah, of course. So I started the project, as Andrea mentioned in her wonderful introduction, about um, two or three years ago at this point. Um, And I really started it in response to, as Andrea also mentioned, um, my experience growing up with a mentally ill and addicted parent. Um, So I grew up um, with a mentally ill and addicted father, um, and he's someone who I have not been in contact with since I was in middle school. So it's probably been, been about almost 15 years now at this point. Um, So I really started the project um, in order to provide kind of support and resources and strategies to kids or adolescents um, in a way that I felt that I didn't have when I was growing up. So when I was growing up um, in high school, I overall did have a really good, I had a really good high school experience overall, relatively speaking. Um, I was someone who I did well in school. Um, I was at the top of my class academically. I played sports um, and I had a lot of friends. And so no one really checked on me and people thought I was fine. Like they thought that I was totally fine. They didn't think to, to check and I felt a little bit under supported. And at that time I was having a hard time accepting the fact that 
it wasn't my fault that what we went through as a family as a result of my father's actions wasn't my fault. And I was always blaming myself. I really thought that I was truly the only person, the only kid in school that was going through something like this. So I never said anything to anyone. Um, I didn't want to be someone that was going into a counselor's office. I felt like that would put a little bit of a target on my back. We hadn't learned about anything that I had been experiencing in class. And so I just felt like I didn't really understand and I, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, so that was my experience growing up in high school. And, and after that, I, I sort of went as far away from this as I possibly could because it was something that I was living during that time. So I originally went into the finance field and I realized that that wasn't something that was super motivating for me. And I felt like I kept being drawn back to like my experiences growing up and I kept hearing stories and people started talking more and more about mental health. And I just had this thought in my head, we're, we're talking more about mental health, which is great. But what about the kids of these adults that we're talking about that have mental illness or addiction issues? And so it kept bringing me back to my, um, my time growing up or my time in high school and middle school. And so I decided that this was, this was what I was going to do. And like, this is what I wanted to do. And so I created the 16 strong project. Um, when I first started, it, it was a lot of researching, networking, trying to figure out like, what routes to take, what worked, um, really trying to understand the landscape as someone without, who, someone with life experience, but without, you know, a formal academic background in uh, mental health or education. And so during that time, that's when I decided I would go back to school, um, graduate school at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and I studied human development and psychology there. Um, and that gave me, that felt like what I um, needed to sort of even push this forward, push this idea into something. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's the origin story, I guess, of 16 Strong. And I know you also asked what, what 16 Strong means to me and, and just what it means. So um, 16 Strong is the idea that if there's 24 hours in a day and in a perfect world, which you know, not always the case, but in a perfect world, if we're sleeping for eight of those hours, we're awake for 16. So 16 strong means, um, like, what does it take you, each individual person to be strong for 16 hours of the day? Um, taking into account the adversities they might be facing, the challenges they might be facing at home, um, taking all those into account, what do you personally need to get through the 16 waking hours of the day? So what that looks like for me is probably not what it looks like for you, Andrea, and it's probably not what it looks like for someone else. And that's okay. It's a very individual thing. And it takes some thinking about like what helps you get through the day in a positive way, um, whether that's positive coping skills, support systems, if it's a conversation with a best friend, or maybe you have a weekly therapist appointment or something like that. Um, it's what combination of things really get you through those 16 waking hours of the day. Well, this is so timely, Samantha, because of the fact that regardless of if you have ACEs or not, we've been thrust right. into this whole pandemic and a lot of people didn't right. know what to do with that 16 hours. And I'm telling you how it changes so often. Oh, yeah. What, what, what our schedules are like, it's different for me this month than it was last month. And yep. so having these sort of strategies are important regardless of the ACEs, add the ACEs in. Right. And we definitely need strategies, but everyone needs to be thinking about these. So Exactly. And it's really something, like you said, for everyone to think about now more than ever. But um, when you're thinking about life during, life during the pandemic, people find themselves not really knowing what to do, not knowing how to get through the day. Um, and when you take into account 
kids who might be stuck at home in, in, adverse, in an adverse situation or, or facing something at home and now they're stuck at home, um, it, it is even more important now than it ever had been before. It's right. Definitely. Definitely. So, you know, I felt connected to this project before we even spoke on the phone. It was like, I've been thinking for quite some time that I needed somebody on the podcast to address ACEs. It's something that I have an ideal wall. I write speakers up on the wall and I circle ideas and, and I just didn't know who I was going to approach. Who do you approach and say, Hey, do you have a lot of adverse childhood experiences? Right. <laughs> pick your brain on a podcast about it wasn't like there was anybody that I knew there was someone that, that I knew um, that I'll talk about a bit later, but mm-hmm. um, Eric Jensen opened it up on our last, our, our last episode, number 79, he talked about the overview of ACEs and the fact that a higher score predicts later life adversity. Mm-hmm. So I know when you're launching this project, it might seem like the project is important to you, but will the rest of the world agree how did my response right. to your email give you more awareness about the importance of and urgency of your project right now? Yeah, it's it it basically it told me pretty quickly how important it, it really is. Um, you're exactly right. It's something that I'm personally passionate about, and not only am I personally passionate about, it's something that it's just my life. Like it's it's how I grew up. It's like what made me me now, and it's also the work that I'm so passionate about and continuing to do. So it is some hard, sometimes hard to really realize the impact that other people see in it, or the the potential that other people see in it. So. Um, Andrea, your reaction really showed me that this is something that people are looking for and they're kind of have their eyes open and maybe they're not actually like reaching out or engaging or something, but it's something that is on the radar and it's in their minds. And so that was really important to me and to hear that reaction from someone who I, you know, had never met before um, meant so much to me because I have, you know, I have my friends, my family, my colleagues, people that have worked with me and been supportive with me um, throughout the time doing this. Um, but it's been a little bit since I've spoken to um, to new people about it, I guess, or to engage um, people from the outside. And so to hear that reaction from a totally new person who is not personally invested in like me was really, really meaningful. And it really shows me um, how much people need to hear about it and, and want to hear about it, too. Definitely, definitely. Well, you know that I follow the work of Dr. Daniel Amen. He's probably one of the most famous psychiatrists and brain disorder specialists in the country. And he'd been actually working with Justin Bieber on his brain health. And he likes to call mental health brain health, since when our brain works right, we work right. And something I found interesting from his work is that when he said being normal is a myth, and because he says that 51% of us will have a mental health issue in our lifetime. So something like post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, addiction, and eating disorder, just to name a few that are the most common issues he sees young people face. And I know how important this topic is to him, so I'm definitely going to send an introduction to the two of you. Um, I'm getting my brain scanned. My husband and I are going in a couple of weeks to get our brain scanned. So oh, wow. um, that'll be an interesting experience. In yeah. Itself, but he actually dedicated his book, The End of Mental Illness, to his nieces, Alize and Amale, who had a difficult upbringing. And he put in the book, your history is not your destiny. Let's end mental illness with your generation. So I know that what you're doing can gain more traction with the more people that you 
exposed to what you're doing. So hopefully um, we can connect you with Tana and Dr. Daniel Amen. Um, but can you just explain how your program is different from other youth mental health programs so that I can talk intelligently when I share with other people that might be interested in what you're doing? Sure, yeah, and, and thank you. I, I really admire the work of Dr. Amen as well. So um, it's, it's true though, and I really like that quote a lot. And that plays, that ties right in perfectly into what I'm gonna mention about what I feel is different about what we're doing. Um, so what we're doing is we're really taking a proactive approach to adolescent or youth mental health um, by equipping teenagers, um, people in their, you know, between like 12 and 24, maybe even in the adolescent years with tools, skills, strategies, language, um, and tips on how to first recognize. I think the most important part is that, um, people in this age range are able to recognize the situation that they're, that they might be in. And so when something becomes your life and your normal, you don't always realize that, hey, maybe this is impacting me in, in a negative way. It's, it's like, you know, this is what I do every day. This is just the way it's always been. Um, like if you're, for example, living with a, an alcoholic parent, alcoholic father, and he's someone who might turn maybe really angry when he drinks at night um, and starts, you know, yelling or, or being violent or something, um, that just can become a child's life. And they might not recognize, like I mentioned, that that's impacting them in a negative way. It might be something they just keep going, just keep pushing forward. And so a key part of what we're doing is giving people, giving uh, adolescents, youth, the language to be able to um, put into words what they're experiencing. And so it's giving them the language such as adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, um, language that they don't currently know to be able to say, yes, this is what I'm experiencing. And maybe it is impacting me in a negative way. And then in addition to that, it's really, it's teaching, it's teaching young people then, okay, now I recognize this, here's what I can do about it. So I can develop positive coping mechanisms. I can, it's so important that I develop a strong support system. Um, it's important that I can speak about it and express it with someone that I trust and that will be helpful to me. It's also talking about or understanding that there might be barriers to seeking help or people might not always be as helpful as you thought they might have been. So how can we overcome those barriers to seeking help? So by doing all of this, it's taking a proactive approach to adolescent mental health by helping, helping young people develop the skills that they need to potentially prevent um, the development of a mental illness or addiction in response to their adverse childhood experiences, um, whether that be they're developing an addiction in, as a negative coping mechanism in, in response to what they're feeling from, from their adversities, or if it's perhaps a repeated behavior, if they're seeing something at home and that's all they know and they start engaging in that type of behavior themselves. So it's um, this recognition, recognition piece and then being able to develop these skills to um, proactively avoid developing certain mental illnesses or addictions um, because it's, you know, it's true that people that do face um, adverse childhood experiences are more likely to develop mental illnesses and addictions of their own and face um, different health issues in the long run. So what happens if we give them the tools and skills and knowledge up front to be able to recognize this and navigate their way through it? Yeah, the, I don't know of any other program that does that and it's so needed in today's schools especially and in today's homes for um, do you do work with families or is it just schools that you do work with not as much families it's just 
just students, so, so young people, and also professionals, so teachers or school personnel as well that are working directly with kids, less so with families as of now. Got it. Got it. That could be an expansion thing down the road. Right, exactly. So as of now, yeah, we do work with adults, just not necessarily in the family context. Got it. So this kind of leads into um, to your website. I was looking through it, um, the16strongproject.com, and I saw some of the stories written by students about their personal experiences growing up with ACEs. Mm-hmm. And I only had one ACE growing up, and it was painful enough with one. Yeah let alone two or three, or even like the last interview, Eric Jensen, who's written all these books on um, brain-based learning, he said he had seven growing up and was able to mitigate them. So um, they do say to name it is to tame it. So I can see why these stories help young people to not just bury the emotions that they're having. Mm But as an adult reading these stories, it it was pretty eye-opening for me to see the pain behind having like an alcoholic parent or a drug user parent or two in the the home. And then for the child to think that that was normal until they might go to a friend's house and see how their friends were interacting. So can you explain more about your Every Voice Heard Schools initiative and the awareness you're looking to create with this? and maybe how teachers can contact you to have a child's story heard on your site. Sure, yeah, um, and you're exactly right. It's, it's really when you think about how many ACEs some people have been through, and I, I'll tell a quick, I will answer your question for sure, but a quick note about myself. I had a number of ACEs growing up, um, and I wasn't as familiar with the term until not more, within the last couple of years. And so I had someone, a clinical psychologist I was speaking with and we were talking about the ACE study and I hadn't taken, I hadn't sat down and formally taken it yet. I I had an idea in my head of what I'd been through. So I was like, I don't really need to tell myself this formally. Um, It could be tremendously helpful for for those who are not as familiar with it though, to sit down and and go through it. Um, So I was talking to a clinical psychologist about this and, and she said, oh, you should sit down and, you know, take the ACE study. And then I was, as I was talking to her more, she goes, maybe you shouldn't take the ACE study right now. Maybe you don't need to put that number exactly on it. So mm-hmm. I can totally relate to that. Um, and it, it really does drive me to continue to do this work really. But it was just a, it's, it's a kind of funny thing to think about where when I'm on the other side of it, I guess, I'm able to, to look back and say, oh yeah, that, that I really did go through quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it really is needed for people to address those within themselves. Um, so yeah, so back to the Every Voice Heard initiative, the Every Voice Heard initiative is really a way for, first of all, people that have stories to have a platform to share them. So storytelling can be such a tremendous resource, um, both for the people that are sharing the story, if they're look if they've been looking for a way to share it and they have something to share and also for people that are looking at it. So to be able to, Andrea, like you mentioned, relate to what they're seeing and understand that it helps, it helps understand that they're not alone in what they're experiencing. Um, And it also might help, I guess, like visualize and, and see themselves in this person who's telling the story and whether they ever come out and speak about it or just internalize it. It's a way that they can do that on their own time, just by engaging with these stories. So the every voice heard story portion, um, that's really what it is. It's a storytelling platform. It's, it's where people are able to either, we have the option to either you can submit a writing piece or an art piece or a video, however you'd like to express yourself because everyone's so different, especially with something so personal. Mm-hmm. Um, or we have the option because I found 
from doing this for a little bit that there are people who prefer to have a conversation about what they're experiencing and don't really want to put pen to paper, don't want to sit in front of the camera. And so we have, um, we have someone who works with us who has conversations or interviews with volunteer contributors and then authors their story. And so then they remain anonymous. Um, only we or the person interviewing, in some cases, actually, I don't, I'm not even familiar with the people who have submitted the stories or who have had conversations, but that's okay. Cause it's really about the content of it rather than the person behind it. Um, so that's another option as well is to have the conversation with someone and have someone really author your story for you. And there's another piece to the Every Voice Heard initiative, and that is the Every Voice Heard Schools. So the Every Voice Heard Schools is a, it's really an opportunity for schools to get on board with basically making a commitment to um, educating themselves on what their students are going through and really understanding I'm basically, I'm taking this pledge, I'm taking this commitment to understand what my students are going through and how I can support them. So by becoming an Every Voice Heard school, it's really taking on or making an agreement almost with yourself, but also signing up with us. And we have an educator toolkit and a number of other resources that we're able to provide to schools that are very, they're very light lift things. They're suggestions, they're strategies, they're tips that can be implemented. Um, it's really like a mindset change in a way. It's recognizing what these issues are, what adverse childhood experiences are, what the impacts can be of not addressing them and coming up with ways to you know, start a conversation with students or bringing awareness to the fact that it's important to check on all of your students. I gave the example of myself in high school where I wasn't checked on often because I seemed okay from the outside. And that happens so often. Um, so it really talks about what the impacts can look like and what can happen in the long run if ACEs go unaddressed. And so it's really bringing just a little bit of education as well as light lift like strategies, tips and suggestions for educators to be able to do in their schools or classrooms. Um, something a little bit more in depth is we do have a workshop that we offer um, that I have run with high school students previously. And it is a, it's workshops. I ran it for 10 weeks for about 40 to 45 minute sessions each. And it's a series of interactive workshops where we're doing exactly what I was describing earlier. We're providing students with language, tools, skills, strategies, awareness that they didn't have before, but doing it in a way that is sort of fun, I guess, or ideally fun for, um, such a personal topic. It can, believe it or not, be fun for students, <laughs> interactive, engaging um, in, a, in a series of group, group activities, class activities, um, brainstorming and individual reflection. So there is that workshop option. Also, I know that's um, a little bit of a bigger commitment. So it's kind of different levels depending on what, um, like what the school is able to commit to or what certain teachers are able to commit to in their classes. I can see how the the stories would help other students maybe connect and say, wow, right. someone in my school has exactly the same scenario right. in their home. Like, because remember you said you felt like you were the only one. Yep. And, and a lot of kids wouldn't talk to their friends about this. Like, no. Yeah, exactly. And as part of the workshop, this is along the same lines of what you're mentioning, it wasn't sharing stories, but we did a visual activity where we had students, they put colored, I think we did it with M&Ms, but they put colored things in a clear cup if they, had, if they had experienced something on the list of ACEs or if they knew someone who had. And so that was a way, and we didn't speak. It was just putting things in the cup and it was a way for you to sort of look around the classroom and see, oh wow, 
every person in this classroom has at least one thing in their cup. And so that was a way without ever speaking that the Mm -hmm. students were able to see, okay, yeah, I'm not the only one, whether it's me or someone I know, everyone in this class has gone through something or has seen someone else go through something Mm -hmm. or they're currently going through something. Mm -hmm. And so exactly like you said, the stories do something similar. And with a story, it's, you can keep it more anonymous and distribute the stories in a way that maintains anonymity, but gives the students an insight into who their, who their classmates are and who their peers are and really think twice and sort of think, oh, wow, like I'm definitely not the only one going through this, which is just tremendously helpful, especially Mm -hmm. at an age where you're developing so much and things are, so many things are changing. So. Yeah, it's, it's very important. Now, for anyone listening who's familiar with Harvard Graduate School of Education, they would know Professor Stephanie Jones and her ESL lab. And I was actually sent her navigating SEL from the Inside Out report from a respected colleague who wanted to make sure that I had all 349 pages of it. <laughs> Can you give an overview of Professor Stephanie Jones's ESL lab and the work that you're doing with her now? Is, is there any connection between what you're doing with with the 16 Strong Project um, with her work or is it separate? It's separate um, to answer your question. Um, So just yeah, as an overview for those who aren't familiar with it, the ESA Lab really explores the effects of um, SEL interventions on development and achievement of both children and young people. So um, early childhood and adolescents as well, as well as the adults in their lives. So whether it's teachers, caregivers, family members, Um, So it's really looking at the impacts of SEL interventions in a nutshell. Um, What I'm working on specifically is you kind of just hit the hit the nail on the head there with the navigating SEL guide. I am currently working on I've been working on with the lab for about the last year, a little over a year now on the second version of the navigating SEL guide. So the first one was published in 2017. And we're working on the new version of it that is I believe slated to be published this year still. Um, so the navigating SEL guide for anyone who's not familiar with it, it is a thorough guide, as Andrew mentioned, all 300 plus pages of it, um, that takes a really deep dive into several different SEL programs. So somewhere between 25 and over 30 this time where we have added some more. Um, and it really, the goal of it is for educators, schools, after school programs to make a well-informed decision as to which program is the best fit for their students. So it, it looks at the different um, skills that the programs target and as well as the different instructional methods that are used. So schools can really understand what it will take from both their staff as and what it will do to benefit their students. And so it there's so many programs out there. And so for those who aren't as familiar with SEL, if you're trying to implement this, which has become so much more popular, um, which is great, um, but it can be overwhelming. So it helps. Um, it helps to make a more well-informed decision and understand what the program will do for, for your staff and for your community. It also does an analysis since we're doing that, since it does the deep dive into the different um, skills and instructional methods, it'll do an analysis across the program. So it gives the opportunity to sort of compare like, Oh, do I want, um, do I want more about like pro-social skills or cognitive regulation and things like that? Um, and you can compare across programs so you can, um, it can help you make that decision for, for your community. Got it. And the only reason I ask if they're connected is because when I first developed my program uh, six years ago, I was just learning about Castle's five competencies. 
and then I integrated those in. So I wondered with your work with her lab, if you're going to start to incorporate some of the competencies into your program, and if one day we'll see your program on the middle school, high school guide, because this one is mainly aimed at elementary, right? Yeah, um, middle school and high school is, is a future plan for sure. Um, but yes, this one, the original one's focused mostly on elementary, and then the more recent one incorporates pre-K pre as well. And the middle school and high school is down the road. Um, but that's a great question. And I think that would be in, in an ideal world, yes. I think that there is, although they're not currently connected, like in actuality, there are a lot of parallels because what I'm doing is incorporating SEL competencies into um, mental health and ACEs education. So that would be a goal. It would be a goal in the future to, for it to be included in an, in an SEL middle school and high school guide. Well, it makes sense to me. I see it. I see the progression. So I'll yeah. follow and we'll see. We'll, we'll see you on that, that the next time, <laughs> five years from now. Yeah. But um, what about your youth advisory board? Who are you looking for for this? Um, who could apply? Sure. Yeah. So we're looking for middle school and high school students who are really passionate about bringing mental health education and awareness to their school. Um, we're also, we're looking to get the voices of those who we're working for into our work because it's so important to have input from the, really the population that these resources are meant to benefit and these workshops are meant to benefit. Um, I think no matter how much you study a topic or how much you work in it, I think that there's just really something about asking the people that you're making it for, hey, what do you want? Like, what do you already have? What do you think would be engaging? Um, do you think this lesson's boring? Like, would you want to do this? Is this fun for you? And, and as a lot of people know, teenagers can be interesting with what they engage with and don't engage with. And so I think it's so important to have the voices in the work we're doing. So it would be a group of students, like I mentioned in middle school and high school, who really do have an input in our work, in the resources we're creating. They can, they'll be able to review some of the ones that we have in progress, even some of the ones that we really have um, to give their suggestions on what they want to see. It, it also would help us to be able to assess different school climates and see what schools are doing and what they might need and what they might be missing, understanding that that will look different depending on the school's location and, and school demographics and, and so on. But it, it is a group of students that have their voice in our, that will have their voice in our work. Wonderful. And, and so I'll put all the links to everything. So if someone wants to go look at you know, how they apply, everything is all set up nicely on your website. Yeah, so, so there's a, I was going to say, I think I didn't answer your question before about how people can sign up. So there are a number of different forms on our website that Andrea, I know you mentioned that there will be a link to, which will be helpful. Um, and then, the, or they can reach out by email and we can, we can put that on here as well. Perfect. And so just to give an overview of what your workshops look like, let's say an educator is looking at this and they might be live or they might be looking at yeah. an online version now. What, mm -hmm. what does it look like for them? So for an educator, um, it looks like it's really, like I mentioned before, it's a series of interactive activities. So there is a number of different lesson plans or workshop plans, depending on how it'll be used, um, that mention the different objectives that are to be covered in that introduction, activity, and conclusion as well. And it provides a number of different 
really different ways to adapt it to your classroom too. So there are different ways you can perform the activities, whether like, obviously if things are remote, it's going to be less physically moving, I guess, and like physically doing things, um, but still has the opportunity to be collaborative among the group because a key aspect of what we did was small group activities to get students talking to each other. Um, I found that sometimes students were hesitant to open up to a broader group about these topics, although as time went on, they did typically come around. Um, but having students engage with their peers and being able to talk about these topics was a big piece of it. And as I mentioned, interactive, so getting everyone involved um, because it is such, such a personal thing. So a number of different brainstorming activities, small group activities, and integrating something else that was key and that educators could expect is integrating current events and media and songs as well. So we did lessons that were focused on song lyrics, analyzing song lyrics. Um, the students were really excited. They wanted to create their own class playlist. So that has since become a suggestion that I've given because a lot of students do use music as a resource, really, as a coping mechanism, a resource. And so they were really enthusiastic about talking about media and music. That, that was a common theme uh, among the classes that I've worked with previously. So really trying to relate these, what can be really challenging, difficult, personal topics to things that students are familiar with. So music is one. You can also relate to TV, movies, books, um, integrating celebrity, celebrity stories as well. Um, so that is another piece that comes along with it. Um, there's a number of different templates, I guess you can say. So like worksheet templates that are used for student reflection and engagement where they can sort of map out on a piece of paper um, things about like what their own personal coping mechanisms are, who they can go to for help, what they're currently facing and different barriers that they faced so they can see it all in front of them. And a big piece of it is a really big piece of it was the support system piece and actually having students put pen to paper and write down who they think is part of their support system, who has been helpful to them, who do they think will be helpful to them in the future um, and having different options. And because it's, and they, they indicated this, the students were very appreciative that they had this in front of them, which was something that was, it was a little surprising to me that they were really so appreciative that they had to physically write down, you know, um, mom, bus driver, person in the cafeteria, because there's so many different, um, there's just so many different adults in, in students' lives, but they expressed that they, um, it helped them to see it in front of them, because sometimes when you end up in a situation where you need, um, where you're looking for help, or where you're struggling, it can be hard to think about who am I going to go to, who am I going to go to, so they're like, well, we already have it thought, it thought it out ahead of time, now we have this sheet of paper that tells us, so a number of different templates like of that sort that have students do that self-reflection ahead of time. And while sometimes, sometimes high school students were like, why are we doing this again? Why are we doing this again? It's just so important to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And they are appreciative of it in the end is what I, is what I found. So. Exactly. It's those building those daily habits. Like, well, exactly. They're saying, why do we have to make our beds perfectly every day? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I've, I've heard, a number of the lessons they'll re you know they reiterate what they did a few times over because like you mentioned it's just having that mindset of these are my coping mechanisms these this is my support system this is what I, this is what i'm supposed to do or this is what i should do if i face um 
if I face a situation where I need help or if I run into a situation where I do ask for help and someone's not helpful, it's continuously going over things like that so that it is in their head when they do find themselves in certain situations. And like you said, it's kind of like they were, they're always very quick to say, we just did this two weeks ago. Didn't we do this already? Yes, we did. (laughs) But it is the constant reiteration of it that it just um, eventually will stay there and, and be there when you need it. Oh, the more that you're talking about it, the more, like, the more I'm getting invested in this. What is is your vision for your project and the legacy that you want to create for the next generation of students? Where do you see this? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm like smiling, thinking about what the possibilities are. Um, Those who are just listening won't be able to see that, but I I am smiling, thinking about the possibilities of that. Um, So really the vision for the project, and again, like perfect loft, a little bit of a lofty goal, but I I really do think this is something that all middle school and high school age students need to learn about this topic at least there needs to be a broader awareness Mm -hmm. and so a vision is that in some way shape or form i would reach every middle school or high school aged student in in this country at least um whether that be through if they've you know have the opportunity to go through a workshop at a school or even if they're just able to engage with a strategy that a teacher used if they were part of the every voice heard school or if they're part of a youth organization that that runs pieces of the program, or even if they just engage with our storytelling initiative, even just reading it or engaging with online resources. But in some way, shape or form, engaging with our material, um, a number of, you know, there's a number of different options. So in, in any of those ways and really understanding that they're not alone and they're not to blame for what they're experiencing and how can they navigate these challenges that they're facing, I think that it's, just so important that it reaches all youth age kids and yes I know that is a lofty ideal goal but that is that is the vision right so so by doing that the goal would be to really eliminate or or avoid developing potential mental illnesses or addictions in response to um, in response to what they're experiencing in response to adverse childhood experiences Um, so by reaching the more kids we're able to reach I really do see this as the more mental illness and addictions we might be able to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I fully support your vision. And I think that it's not an accident that you're working where you are with Professor Stephanie Jones. I think that, that this is going to be a great venue for you. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to share this important project with us. For those who want to learn more, they can go to 16strongproject.com. And I know that you're on social media. What's the, do you go on Twitter or Instagram the most? Which is the, the one you use the most? Instagram the most, um, Twitter as well though. And both of those um, accounts are also 16 Strong Project. So it's 16strongproject.com and it's at 16strongproject on social media. Perfect. We'll put all this in the show notes and thank you so much for this. We hope that as we share this out and get more people involved that you can spread into more schools and get more awareness and that your vision in five years, we all know about 16 Strong Project in the U.S. and beyond. Thank you so much. I hope so. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you. 
If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 